0: This message was recorded at North 2011, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, christcentralchurches.org It's so good to see what God's doing in the churches, so many uh, getting on with all sorts of diverse things, expressing love to the people. I'm thrilled to be identified with that and with you. Would you like to look to Ezra and chapter 1 again, please? Just while you're looking at it, I'm so pleased that lots of you are taking advantage of getting hold of the Spirit-filled church. sort of commend it to you. It underlines so many of our values. It encapsulates uh, what makes our heart beat. I've been pleased to get lots of letters from people already saying how much they're enjoying it, about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You may have questions or uh, uh, problems to answer other people's questions. There's uh, three chapters on receiving the Spirit, the importance of Spirit and Word, uh, the multiplied healings and miracles we're beginning to see. There's a whole chapter on signs and wonders, transforming grace, worship in Spirit and truth, empowering the poor the need for leadership in God's way, churches that pray, how to be a a church full of the Spirit that prays powerfully and sees things happen. And I just want to commend it to you. I believe it will be really, really helpful to you and uh, to share with new Christians coming in say, hey, this is the kind of church we're wanting to build. So let me just mention that. Ask for your prayers too. Um, Next month, Wendy and I go across to the USA. First of all, to our New Frontiers hub at St. Louis, where we'll be gathering all our leaders and wives uh, across the U.S. Uh, for a conference, and that will draw in a growing number of people who don't belong to New Frontiers. Our profile is beginning to rise in the States, so that, for instance, there's a guy who lives quite a big church in New York uh, a church of a couple of thousand in New York and he's been writing to me lately because he stumbled on one of my books and so on and said I'd love to come and see you guys and uh, others that are beginning to uh, come in so please pray for that that we will begin to touch that nation with increasing impact and then going across to be with Bob Roberts some of you who are pastors here will remember hearing uh, Bob Roberts again opportunity to speak to to be honest a few thousand people and leaders who are coming in from all over the world. So some of the prophecies that we're hearing here and uh, in the leaders meeting just before as we pray together are massively inspiring. It's great to go out from here, uh, feel myself, uh, yeah, visiting but launched out from being in this believing company into uh, something that we're doing together across the nation. So yeah, we're there for two months, finishing up in Mexico in the end at the Fiesta and other situations that are opening to us around the USA. I won't bother with the detail, but it's uh, it's very encouraging. Things are growing a lot in the USA. It's been a while. It's been like one of those plants. You water it, and you think, is that going to grow? Is that going to grow? What's going to happen to that? And suddenly, whoa, there it goes. And uh, in the States, we're beginning to see some real breakthrough. Praise the Lord. So Ezra chapter 1, I'm going to read exactly the same verses as yesterday, but we're looking at it slightly differently Today, now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you, of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, which the God of Israel, he is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor... Of whatever place he may live, let the men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a freewill offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' households, of Judah, Benjamin, the priests, and the Levites, arose, even everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. All those about them encouraged them with articles of silver, with gold, with goods, with cattle, and with valuables, aside from all that was given as a free will offering. I want to just read to you briefly from Isaiah and chapter 1. You needn't bother to turn there, but I'm just going to read a few verses that fall into this kind of a context as well. Isaiah 1, Verses 7 to 9. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers, are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the joy of singing your praise. Thank you for your prophetic word coming to us, showing us the big picture. We thank you for the excitement of your hand upon our lives. Lord, we who were just dust, We thank you that you're breathing life into us. And Father, we come before you now praying in the name of Jesus that you will continue to speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word, Lord, that if you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We come asking you, Father, In Jesus' name, let your Holy Spirit come upon us now. Come, Holy Spirit. Tune our minds. Let each of us sense my heavenly Father's here. God is with us. Spirit, please be our teacher now. Come and glorify your great name. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yesterday we saw the setting. We saw that Ezra is a book about recovery. It's about going back into the place of God's presence, having been in exile, having been banished from not just a land, but where God's presence was known where he indwelt, the temple, where his glory filled Zion, where Zion was the joy of the whole earth, where they celebrated. They said, march around Zion. Look at its strength. Look at its battlements. This is where God dwells among his people. They were a massively privileged people. They were enjoying God being with them. But after years and years of failure, to obey God, to enjoy Him, to serve Him as a loving bride. They began to go after other gods. God saw that as a kind of adulterous thing. You're going after other gods. I'm your God. And God's heart was broken by the way they treated them, uh, him, uh, how they ignored some of the social teachings that he gave. He said to them, care for the poor. They didn't care for the poor. They joined field to field. They grew rich and they trod down the poor. He, they didn't bother to honor him or his ways or his truth. And ultimately, they were thrown out of the land as Adam and Eve were thrown out of Eden God said, no, no, out from my place of blessing, out from where my glory dwells. Very similar experience. You're thrown out. But they were thrown out at the same time in God's incredible mercy with a promise through Jeremiah, you will come back. There'll come a wonderful day of recovery. In fact, I will give you a new covenant. I'll write my laws on your heart. I'll put my spirit within you. God promised a new covenant, a time of recovery, a time when he would breathe new life. And not just to save a little company, but with international planning. An international plan, not just to build a small house, a small temple in Jerusalem, but behind that, as the prophets who spoke at that time, Haggai, for instance, said, when you build this house, the goal of glory will fill it. God's power will fall upon it, and God will shake the heavens and the earth, and it's going to have international ramifications. It's great when the Spirit comes upon the prophet, he begins to see something. As he begins to speak, he sees more and speaks from revelation that God's giving him, and Haggai begins to speak about what's going to happen. Here, Ezra then, we saw that he's beginning to feel stirred, and these leaders, Zerubbabel and others, are going to make this journey. And we saw yesterday the need for an exodus. The need to say, okay, we're going to make a journey. We are going to leave where we felt secure, where we felt, okay, we're doing okay here. We've got our sacred writings. We've got our synagogues. We're Jews. And God said, yeah, yeah, you are Jews, but listen, there's glory for you in the land. You need to move. You need to uproot and make a journey. You need another exodus. And we looked at that yesterday. I just want to pick up three words that come in the passage that we didn't particularly look at yesterday. And the first one is survivors. Survivors. You'll have found that word in both the readings that I brought to you, first of all, in this Ezra passage. Because Cyrus says, you who are survivors. Isaiah says, if the Lord had not left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. We would have been wiped out but there were a few survivors. So if you like, my first heading is Survivors Whose Judgment Is Past. Survivors Whose Judgment Is Past. We hear a lot about survivors these days. We have known about a number of tragic events, things like the tsunami in Japan, Uh, We hear about earthquakes. uh, And the news is filled for a few days with the actual event. And we see these incredible photographs in our generation. We have the privilege of seeing massive photographs, often video. You see, wow, look at that wave coming. Look at that. It just took people out. And you're allowed to kind of see it. And for a while, the event just captivates you. You think, wow, look at that. And then as the crisis goes, we begin to meet the survivors. You begin to hear people say, well, I was in such and such a place. I saw, I saw the others swept away, and I just clung to this, and I, I came through. Or I was in uh, 9-11, and, I, and I, I was the only one in my whole office that survived. I, I was the only one, or, or maybe one of the Chilean miners. And, and we're in the ground, and we think, wow, what's going to happen? And for days and days, we see them constructing uh, something. They, they were drilled down to the earth. Will they be in time? What's going to happen? And then they're out. And then they begin to speak. They escaped. They survived. The horrific event is behind them. But you know, survivors don't just walk away free. Have you noticed that? They don't say, oh yeah, I I got out." It's not like that. Survivors, there's something about them, there's something that they feel instinctively that, I I walked out of that. And maybe they get to see the pictures, and more than that, they begin to think of those who didn't survive. And there's a sense in which they feel different now. I'm a survivor. It's done something in their inner consciousness. It's not as though nothing happened. It's not, oh yeah, I went through that. No, 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 it's not like that. What do these people survive? Well, the first thing they survived was warfare. They survived terrifying warfare. You can see what the prophet speaks about it. Jeremiah, before it happens, he's a true prophet. And you read, I've been just read through Jeremiah. I use the Murray McShane reading plan. It's just taken us right through Jeremiah and Lamentations and you see the agony of this man who prophetically can hear the hoofbeats of this army that God is raising up to judge Israel. He says, they're coming. I can see them coming. I can feel, I can hear their hoofbeats. They're coming. They're they're going to have no mercy. They're going to wipe us out. This army's going to come. God's so furious with them. He's raised up this army. They're going to be uh, judged by this army coming. And you read about it in one chapter before Ezra in the second Chronicles, chapter 36, verse 17, for instance, it says, "...he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of the sanctuary. They had no compassion on young man or virgin, old men or infirm. He gave them all into his hand." All the articles of the house of God, great and small, treasures of the house of the Lord, treasures of the king and of the officers. He brought them to Babylon. He burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned its fortified buildings with fire, destroyed all the valuable articles. It's just terrible. And these guys survived it. They survived war. They came out from war and the Lord gave them a few survivors. If there hadn't been a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah where it's just obliterated. A few survivors. Survivors. Have you noticed on Remembrance Sunday sometimes uh, you see people uh, just walking down uh, in, in Whitehall, and they come, and you see these old guys, and sometimes the camera comes in, and you see the tears, and sometimes they interview these guys, or sometimes they'll take film of people visiting Northern France and walking among these hundreds of little crosses. And they're walking along there, and they're looking, and they they remember people, and they and and they, they just can't kind of just shed it. They can't they can't say, "Oh yeah, I was there. It was easy." No, 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 no. My friend and this one, and oh boy, he and I, I kind of got through it. It's an extraordinary thing. It does something to people, and sometimes they can't they can't really talk about it. Wendy's father was uh, only been married like a few days, actually, a couple of weeks more or less and then was taken off into the war, went to the war in Burma. And it's interesting, a lot of people who are in the war in Burma can barely... He wouldn't talk about it. Dad, what happened? I don't want to talk about it. Things we saw, people we lost. Melvin Bragg wrote a wonderful book just called The Soldier's Return. I, I bought it for Wendy because it kind of summed up... It was a story, it's a novel, but based on what happened. guy who was in Burma, and then when he came home... And, How hard it was just to be natural with his wife again, and his little child had been born just before he went, and just the agony of it. And, and, well, open up. I don't want to open up. I I can't bear to think about it anymore. Something about surviving. I wonder if you uh, saw Saving Private Ryan. What a movie! Incredible movie. And you know the story, of course. Somebody, a mother who's lost two sons already, and another son is out there, and a, a, a platoon is sent uh, to save, and a huge fight takes place. And, and they find this guy and snatch him out and bring him, and people die, and, but he's free. And at the end, you get this, this kind of final remark, and, 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 he, and he goes back and, and he says to his family, something like, Do tell me it was worth it. I was saved. Tell me my life mattered. Tell me I did something that, all that sacrifice, that it meant something. Something about, you see, people who escape, they they had this sense of, wow, I I escaped. I've been given my life back. It's almost like I have a stewardship. My my friends died, but I have a stewardship. I must have a destiny. That's, the, that's what happens to people who survive. That's, these guys come out of the mine and say, I've been given my life back. I thought it was all over. And loved ones say, Oh, you're back. Yeah, yeah, I've been given my life again. And there's a sense of my life, I can't treat it carelessly. I survived. I've been given another chance. That's the thing about survivors, they, they feel I've got a stewardship. I remember seeing a program on television. It was quite extraordinary, About the Blitz, only a few months ago I saw this, and uh, it was just showing the fires in London, and, and these buildings, and, and they're, they're falling, the bombing has been taking place, and there, were, there was a fireman, and uh, he was being interviewed, and he said, I was standing there for hours holding this hose, and just pouring it into this burning mass up above me. I'm just standing there, standing there for hours, and I was, I was freezing, and, and yet the front's burning, and I'm, it's just... Oh. Oh boy, I'm just standing here. And I think how much longer can I go? And a guy comes along and says, Okay, I'm relieving you. Oh so he takes the hose and he walks away. And as the guy walks away, the whole building fell on the man who'd taken the hose from him. I survived. And it just had such a profound effect upon his life that I walked away free. I'm a I'm a survivor. It makes you take your life seriously when you realize, hey, I was given another chance. These were survivors from war. They're also survivors from refugee experience. They've been refugees for 70 years. They're in a place with a foreign language, a foreign culture. They're away from home. They're not exactly welcomed in. What are you doing? Who are you? And, and yeah, they survived refugee experience, Difficult associated with that, hard work. They sustained through isolation. They they survived extended time of being refugees in a foreign land. They also survived what was effectively not just an ordinary war. The war was God's judgment. War is terrifying. War war is awful. To, To survive any war is amazing. But this is a unique war. This is a war where... Like God is acting. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like God looks at these places and says, these cities, I need to blot them out. And he sends fire from heaven to destroy the cities. Here, in this situation, God's just as angry and he sends a great army, but some survive. They're not just surviving a foreign army with all their brutality. They are surviving the fact that God's behind it. God is judging. God is acting. God is saying, enough. And they survived. Incredible experience to walk away from that experience, to walk away from God's judgment. That's like it was on the Passover, the original Exodus. It says, God looked upon Egypt. He said, I'm going to kill the firstborn in every household. Let my son go. That you he, come out and worship me. I will kill all your firstborn. That's the, god began to get more and more furious judgments. The plagues come one after another. Nearly every plague in the Exodus in Egypt is coming against some false god. They worship the sun. He makes it totally dark. Other things. He just I am coming against this. But you Jewish people, put the blood on your doorposts. Not that the Jewish people were, you know, they're holy, righteous. No, no, no. It doesn't say that. It says they became idolaters while they were there. Just as sinful. Moaning, complaining people. Worshipping wrong gods. God said, put the blood outside your house. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. You will survive. Because the blood of the Lamb is shed. And God knows the value of the blood of the Lamb we might try and feel it as cries went right through Egypt. It must have been they heard screams as house after house, the firstborn's gone. My son is died. Every home, firstborn is dying. Screams are coming. And the, the, the Jewish people are hiding in their homes thinking, "Oh God." And it goes by, and, and, the, and the Lord says, "Why I see the blood I will pass over you?" And as judgment sweeps right through a nation, We survived. Why? Because, well, we slaughtered a lamb. Because a perfect, spotless, innocent lamb had to be spotless. Had to have no diseases. Had to have no broken limbs. Had to be an innocent, pure lamb. And because a pure lamb died, they walked out free. Hey, we know about this, don't we? Hey, why are we here? How come we got here? How come I survived judgment? Judgment. Because a lamb took my place. Paul said this We thus judge. If one died, we're all dead. I'm a survivor. I've been given another chance. I don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. We're not religious, we're survivors. We got through because God judged another. Another stood in my place. It's like this guy said, oh, I'll take the hose. You walk away. He walks away. He's got, Jesus stood in our place. It's like Barabbas, you go free. Jesus goes through. Barabbas survives. I get my life back. We got our lives back. I got another chance. I got destiny. We're not just random people. We got snatched out of the flames. We survived The wrath of God. By the grace of God, we survived judgment. So you get wonderful Isaiah 53. God smote him. He was smitten of God and afflicted. God laid our sin on him. God did it. God did it. God punished Jesus. What's Isaiah 54? Rise. Strengthen your stakes. Lengthen your ropes. Go and tell the world. We survive. We come through the judgment to go and tell. God's made us survivors, dear friends. We don't take our lives seriously. We've been given another chance. We can say judgment is past. Survivors whose judgment is past. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Judgment is behind us. It's already happened. We have passed from death to life. We're not wondering what will judgment be. We say, no, no, it's all done. Jesus took my guilt took my shame, has sanctified, for, cleansed us for all time. He has made us righteous for all time by his death. We have survived judgment. We're the other side of it. We've got our lives back. We're not holding on by our fingernails. We're through. We have a life back. So we've been surviving. We've survived warfare. We've survived that sense of being refugees we survived God's judgment. One further thing, they survived with a a distinctive identity. The word is, which of his people? They're still his people. His people. That's the word that goes out from Cyrus. The survivors who are his people. You mean we're still his people? God was so furious with us. God saw our backsliding. God saw our sin and judged. But which of his people? Are we not lost then? Are we not just part of Babylon? No, 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 no. You're still his people. When God begins a work in us, we're still his people. That's the wonder, I think, of the days after the resurrection when you see Jesus. What a shepherd. There's Simon Peter. And Simon who said, I'll never let you down, I'll never betray you. Even if anything happens, I'll stay by you. I'm always dependable. And Jesus now, before the cock crows, you'll deny me. And Peter curses and swears. Says, you're with him. No, I don't know him. Won't even use his name. I'm not with him. Doesn't say I'm not with Jesus. I'm not with him. Like, he won't even say his name. He's just completely hidden in the shadows. hes, he's You're worthy of judgment, Peter. When Jesus comes back from death. He's looking for his people. Simon, do you still love me? Am I still in? I thought I was out. Do you love me, Simon? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me, Simon? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Sometimes we feel disqualified, don't we? I let him down so much. And this, No, his people, those the survivors who are his people. When God starts something with you, you can feel sometimes so wretched. God, I failed you so badly. I'm worth being thrown out. I can't understand how God didn't throw me out. So many times. So many times. Why didn't you just throw me out? Why didn't he spit me out? It's in the Bible, he spit you out of his mouth. I thought, a number of times I messed up. No, we still his. That wonderful resurrection morning, he goes finding them. Thomas, Peter, come on and get What a shepherd. Have they had anything to eat? He prepared breakfast for them. Somebody here needs to hear this this morning. You feel, I don't know if I'm worthy anymore. I'm in the meeting, but I don't feel I belong. Listen, they survived belonging. They've been through it all. They still belong. You're still His. If He's begun something in you, you're still His. He's going to keep working on you. He's going to keep lifting you. He's going to keep snatching you. He's going to keep holding you until He presents you faultless. He will work on you. We don't lose being His people. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Incredible mercy and kindness. But being a survivor means, hey, the world's been crucified to me. That's what Paul said, a glory in the cross, not as a memory, but a glory in the cross by which I have been crucified to the world. And the world has been crucified to me. I understand the cross has set me free from that whole thing. I understand there's nothing, that I shouldn't even be alive now. I've been given another chance. I'm not going to get caught up in that again. The, The cross has crucified me to the world. It set me free from it. I'm a survivor. You're a survivor this morning? We're survivors. We've been given another chance. God has given us another life. Hallelujah. So, the survivors whose judgment is past, that's who we are here this morning. Our judgment is past. We've survived. We're going on forever in the mercy and kindness of God. He has passed over. He judged terribly. But there are a few. Survivors. Hallelujah. We are survivors here this morning. Secondly, we are seers, or they were seers, with a vision for the future. Right? Survivors whose judgment is past. Now, they are seers with a vision for the future. This group, well, they're such a pathetic little group. It says, if you look at the text, there were 42,360 of them. Ezra 2, verse 64. 42,000. That's Israel now. That's what they've been reduced to. That's like two stony Bible weeks together. That's the whole of Israel. 42,000. Boy, that's Israel? What on earth happened? No, it says in Elijah's day there were only 7,000 who'd not bowed the knee. Israel often was brought back right down to a tiny group. We need to understand this, that God is not dependent on large or small. In fact, sometimes God makes it smaller. In Gideon's day, God makes it very clear he would work with a small company. And that happens again and again in Israel's history. It says when Samuel hears God speak to him, it says the light had almost gone out. As a nation, it's like no one's fearing God. Even the priests are corrupt. Where's the prophet? Where's God? They've got Abraham's blood, but they're not true sons of, of Abram. And the light's nearly gone out. So again and again you see that in the Bible, that the army of God becomes very, very small. I love the stories at the beginning of the gospel especially in Luke's gospel where you, you it's like a little spring beginning to rise you find there's Simeon and there's Anna there's just a couple two or three that are looking for looking for, awaiting God's coming and you get this guy this old guy he goes into the temple he sees the body he sees the little baby Jesus and he says now I can go I've seen The salvation of God. And there's Zechariah, one faithful priest in the the house of God. And and the Spirit comes and the, the angel comes. And wow, it's all beginning to happen again. Spring is breaking through after a very long winter. And there have been such periods in church history, a very long winter. You think, where's God? Where's the church? Where's any sense? Where's the real living God? You can't see him anywhere. And then you find, hey, God begins to just engage with a few new people. Or some just older ones have been hanging on, waiting, waiting. I love reading about some of the revivals, even up in the Hebrides and so on. Just a couple of sisters praying, longing, oh God, won't you come, won't you come, won't you come? And God comes in power. Sometimes it's reduced to a handful. And so here, they are a small group who are still in touch with God. They're a small group. God is not limited by small. I just, uh, uh, (laughs) I was uh, recently, we're leaving Brighton. We're going uh, to another town in South London. And uh, somebody gave me a beautiful photograph, book of Brighton, taken from the sky. And uh, it's just fabulous picture. I just, I just sat there, oof, turning pages. They said, we want you to have this so you won't stop praying for us and uh, remind you of Brighton. So there's loads and loads of fabulous places, a place called Coldeen. Oh, there I started. There's this and there's the Seaford Head. Oh, and then there's a whole double-page spread of Plumpton Racecourse. And I think, look at that tiny little field, tiny little field where we started with, About two and a half thousand. Just started there. Two and a half thousand. Got a familiar ring? Now we're in every continent. God can start with something very small, but He wants us to be seers, a small group, a civilian group. They weren't an army. Scripture says this strange thing. God doesn't delight in the strength of a horse or in the legs of a man. It's like, hey, I'm not impressed by you, but if you will cling to me. This is a civilian group. It's a small group. In fact, it says, they said, would you like help? And Ezra said, no, we don't need help. God is with us. Then you find a little later. They said, oh, God, please help us. Please help us. We said we don't need help. Well, help us, Lord. This is a little group so real. God is with them. He's with them. They're civilian. They're leaning on God. But they are a seeing group. Okay? They're small. They're civilian. But they are seeing. They're a group who saw God's purpose. They saw bigger than themselves. In that sense, they were true children of Abraham. But Abraham, it says, did not waver when he considered the weakness of his body, when he, when he saw the, the vastness of the promise and looked at the limitation of himself. thought, so how can this happen? It says he grew strong in faith, being fully persuaded that what God had promised he's well able to do. And beloved, faith is such a big, big issue for us. God loves faith. It seems to me that is so fundamental to what it is to be a believer. We're believers the fall was about not believing God. That's the issue. Often people say, oh, it was about selfishness, it's about this, it's about that. I think the real issue was they didn't believe God. God made promises to Adam and Eve. Satan said, you can't believe him. He's holding out against you. You can be as God. You won't have to depend on Him. You won't have to depend on His promise. You can be as God. You can say what's good and what's evil. You take His place. You assume responsibility. You can be as God. You don't need to trust Him. He can't be trusted anyway. He's hold- so the big issue as a fool is we don't believe. Human race doesn't believe God. Conversion comes up. No, you believe Him. We begin to trust him. So faith is a huge issue. That's why it's such a big issue in the Bible. That's why God I I look at sometimes I think, gosh, I wonder why that that's being blessed, even that movement's being blessed. You think, Well, theologically they're a bit iffy. But I tell you what, there's a lot of faith there. God loves faith. God loves faith. And it's no good us being dormant about faith. It's not well, I'm trying to be a good boy. No, Why are you trying to be a good boy but to please God? Well, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Just being a good boy is not going to please him. He wants you to believe him. He wants you to get to know him so you believe him. Even when it's tough and he'll sometimes put you through delays and setbacks and heartbreaks and say, Are you trusting me? Why? Because the trial of your faith, more precious than gold, the trial of faith, faith's a big issue, beloved. It's about believing God. It's one of the reasons I want to go to this church in Kingston. There's only a hundred of them, but there's a 2,000-seater bingo hall down the road, and they've already said, we're offering one and a half million. I thought, hundred of you? Offering one and a half million? For a 2000 seat. I said, can I join you, please? God loves faith, and I know I'm speaking to people who are living this. We've heard one after another stand up and say, we're going. Who are you? Well, we're nobody. Well, what are you doing? Well, God's told us. God's spoken to us. We've had promises. So, well, let's go. Let's step out. That's why he said, Peter, see, God encourages faith. What sort of confidence does God, did Jesus inspire among his men that when Jesus is walking on water? That's crazy. You don't walk on water. And Peter says, let me do it as well. Bid me come to you. I think, What must it have been like being around Jesus that he inspired that kind of faith? I could walk on the sea. Not just water. It's not like a mill pond. It's a storm. Let me walk on it as well. Let me walk on the storm. Jesus can inspire that kind of faith. You can step out of limitations. You see, he chose the weak things. Most of us have put our hand up. Just the weak things. The foolish things, yes, Lord. The despised, yes, Lord. The things that are not, yes, Lord. I love that passage. I get on my knees on that passage again and again. Yes, Lord, line up with everyone. But you see, we're not going to take the world if you're weak, useless. Let's, let, let's take the world. We'll put this feeble guy in Buenos Aires. We'll put this stupid guy in Beijing. We'll put this crazy lunatic. Oh, yeah, we're weak. Oh, let's go and take the world. you know. But... <laughs> God chooses the weak, but how are we going to take the world unless, like Gideon, out of weakness, through faith, he became strong? Out of weakness, God chose. He said to Gideon, I've chosen you. Me? I'm the least in my father's house, and my father's nobody. And then they said, no, I've chosen you. I send you. I clothe you with power. Let's go. So we're trusting God. These were seers. They could see what God was after. Can you see what's God? What is God saying to you? He said, We're going to go into Belfast. What is He showing you? What are you seeing? What are we looking for? We're going into Scandinavia. What are we seeing? These guys began to see something. God had painted a wonderful picture for them. We're going to rebuild the house of God. What does God. Put it in our hearts. It says in 2 Corinthians 4:18, not looking at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. When you become more impressed by the unseen than you are by the seen. And you'll find situations like that. We're going to buy this property. We're going to plant this church. Impossible. You can't do it. You, it's impo- See, we'll have modern day Joshua's who say that's coming down. That Jericho wall is coming down. That river's going to open, but we can't do it. The elders pray, they seek God. We're going to do it, and beloved, we've become a faith movement. New frontiers—a faith movement. Well, we're not an unbelief movement, are we? We'll see how it turns out, movement. I'd rather be a faith movement. I'd rather—I love being with your guys. I love being at the prayer meetings with the guys who gather around Jeremy. I love the faith that's in this place. It's a privilege to come in and feel the tide of faith that's here. You can just feel you're not kids playing at it. You've got some history. You started with 500 one year. Now you've got some history. We've come through a few storms. It's not a holiday camp. As Jeremy said at the prayer time, it's a boot camp. And how? There's soldiers here. There's faith here. And that's Absolutely fundamental. See us. You've seen something There's much more at stake. And we're seeing the invisible. We're motivated by the invisible. We feel ourselves to be a... We've survived. We've got destiny. God brought us through. Judgment. We're at the other side. i got another chance. I should have died. I should be dead. I should be rotting. Now he's given me my life back. Now he's saying, this is why. That's the biggest thing in your life. Lord, why did you take hold of me? I want to take hold of that for which you took hold of me. You've got purpose for my life. You've given me dignity. What a privilege it is to be a child of God. What a wonder. And we need to be seers. We need to be believers. Not just correct. God help us to be correct. But if there's no faith, being merely correct is totally boring. We need to be, yes, Lord, let's believe God for Vancouver. What will God do in Vancouver? It's no God just turning up. We'll see how it goes. Oh, it's a bit tough. We didn't think it would be this tough. It'll be tough. It'll be tough. You'll feel like refugees. We don't know anybody. It's going to take faith, beloved. But you're survivors. God's got his hand on you. You're special to God. (laughs) We can believe him. Thirdly and finally, supporters whose commitment is in the present. All right, survivors whose judgment is past, seers with a vision for the future, supporters whose commitment is in the present. Word from Cyrus is this let the men of that place support them with silver and with gold, a free will offering. For the house of God support us some will go some will support some will go others will say no I just don't feel for me I want to build a house here it's been a joy in Brighton to so many so many friends here who were down there at one time it's great to send but some need to stay we need some pillars I reckon you either have to be a pillar or you have to be an arrow I remember having a prophetic word in the Brighton church many years ago and I saw uh, these like pillars lined up and I felt God said to me, if each of you leaders will live righteous with integrity and will line up well, relationship, I will cause you to build a house and I will cause shoots to grow up and I'll cut them as arrows and send them to the ends of the earth. And so for elders, there will indeed be some who stay We've got to be strong. We've got to build some big churches with clarity models. Churches of thousands, thousands of churches. We need some Antioch bases. We need some places that model it, that impact a city. Yeah. So some will say, "No, I'm not coming. I'm staying." But I'll support. I'll support. That's what happened here. Some went, and some supported. We will support you. I like football, and uh, my son, uh, my youngest son, Tim, he was an Alan Shearer fan. He was a very good striker, Tim, and uh, Alan Shearer was his hero, and Newcastle was his team. Lived in Brighton? You you (laughs) You live in Brighton? I wonder about this up here. And you support Newcastle. But now you can start supporting Brighton, actually. Anyway, but he supported... Uh, Newcastle, and uh, he'd never seen them, only on television, and one day they were playing against, uh, they were playing against Wimbledon, Wimbledon didn't have a uh, place to play anymore, so they're using Crystal Palace, and so I took him up to Crystal Palace uh, to see Newcastle, and it was an experience uh, that I'll never forget, actually. Uh, uh, we met one or two of our uh, New Frontiers pastors from around that area, and uh, I remember some of us all went together, and we, you get closer to the place And and you begin to see black and white striped shirts everywhere. And this is in South London. And uh, we're going into Crystal Palace. And as you walk in, you hear this noise. And what is the noise? It's all these Newcastle supporters over here. They are making a noise. And they're singing. And they're shouting. And the game hasn't even started yet. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, they're just going crazy. And I mean, they're all there, they're all standing there. They've got seats, but no one's sitting. They're singing and shouting. And then their team comes running on just to kick the ball around a bit. And you'd think it was Wembley. Wow! But they're just playing around. They're singing and shouting. They're going crazy. I thought, boy, I've never seen support like that. And then the game started. It's deafening because we're just in front of them. It's deafening. Absolutely deafening. They're shouting, singing. And then the amazing thing was that Wimbledon at one point got the ball. It's about thirty minutes into the game and they attacked. And when they attacked, their supporters shouted. And when they shouted, the Newcastle fans just mocked them. Because they've been supporting for half an hour and nothing's happened yet, but they're supporting. And at half time they, they went in. You'd think they'd won. They were one down by half time. Whoa! Come on, Newcastle! I thought, what is this? And then second half. Here we go again. I mean, it was breathtaking. And I think they lost the game. But you—you you never have dreamt that. You never have dreamt it was an away game. They made much more noise than the home supporters. I thought, boy, I learned a lot today. I learned about support. I mean, they've got the shirt, they're there, they're at the away game. I went to see Brighton last week because, uh, well, I mean, I, I'm interested. I mean, they've just gone up into the championship. They're top of the championship. And I, I mean, when the, when the scores come out, I, you know, I look to see the score. But I haven't got the shirt. And I'm not, I'm not there every week. I mean, going to an away game? Forget it. I mean, supporters. Supporters. I mean, I think they're interesting. I'm a a bit of a fan, but I wonder what you are. You a supporter? Or are you uh, interested? Hope North does well. I'll pop in on the Sunday morning, maybe. But I mean, what, in the mud? Come on. I mean, that's a bit serious, isn't it? That's having the shirt, isn't it? I mean, have you seen them? They stand. I mean, some of them stand without the shirt in midwinter. <laughs> kind of totally crazy. God, beloved, will the supporters get involved? Your supporter? Well, I'm interested. I hope it goes all right. Or I don't really care. It's a blessing for me here. These guys, the supporters. And I, I learned so much. I, I learned about. I, I was a, we had a worship conference coming a little later. I learned about worship. I learned about praise, even when their team was losing. I've never seen praise like it. Real support. Supporters. Shouting. They're in, it says they will encourage. Verse 6 let them encourage. You know, supporters. A huge encouragement. Huge encouragement. Our giving is an encouragement. Paul says in Second Corinthians 9 and verse 7, Each must do as he's made up his mind, not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but overflowing in many thanksgivings to God, they will glorify God for your obedience. The guys who received the gift, boy, they will explode with thanksgiving. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you've helped us do this. You got why? How did, how did we get through? Oh, well, we had some support. That's how we got started. We had some support. When Simon Pettit first went down to Cape Town, we said, Simon, we'll stand with you. We believe it's going to become an apostolic base. We believe the church in Cape Town will open Well, boy, what did Simon open up? What are those who've come behind him opened up? But we supported. We helped to get it established. We sent loads of money down from Stonely Bible Week. Let's get that established. And he's encouraged. Of course they're encouraged. And that's what it says here. They will be encouraged. And in the New Testament, they will glorify God because of your obedience. And then this next phrase, it says in verse 4 and verse 6, a free will offering. So the passage is very interesting to us today, isn't it? Everyone's spirit has been stirred up. Some will go. Some will be supporters with a free will offering. It's not under compulsion, Paul tells us in the New Testament. It's not something you have to do. Paul is quite explicit. He says it's not as a command. I'm not writing to this to you as a command. Some people carry over the kind of tithing concept into the New Testament and there, if you didn't tithe, you were robbing God. Now here in the New Testament Paul is saying it's not a command. We're free. It's a free will offering. And so he says in the same passage, let every man do as he's made up his mind. Second Corinthians 9.7 Each man must do as he's made up his mind. Not reluctantly. So you make up your mind. It's not careless. You make up your mind. It's, like, it's the offering. I've heard about it. I know what's going on. They've painted the picture very clear. They've shown us the videos. We've had the guys up here on their feet. Husband and wife. Little children. They're going... They've been very open with us. I I need to make up my mind. I need to think about it. Maybe husband and wife need to talk together. What are we going to do? It's something we do. We say, I want to be involved. Because, well, this is a big deal. I'm one of those survivors. I'm on the planet by the mercy of God. I'm set free from other things. I've got another chance. How am I going to get involved? What am I doing? You make up your mind. You ponder it. You consider it. We don't do it carelessly. We make up our mind. And then notice it says, it's an offering. You bring it as an offering. Now that lifts it above we're having a collection. Someone's going to pass around the hat. You know, it's not someone selling the big issue. It's an offering. That gives it spiritual significance. It's something for God. We're going to do here in a moment. We're doing something for God. Your offering. Actually, your offering is not even to the New Frontiers vision. Your offering's to God. We bring it to God. We say, Lord, this is for you. Thank you for giving me a context, but I really feel this will be worked out for you. But this is to you, Lord. I give it to you. It's not for other people to see. It's for you. It's part of my worship. It's part of my expression of gratitude. I'm a survivor Lord I just want to worship you I just want to give you I want to give you out of what I have it's an offering that's to God and that awareness kind of sanctifies it as John Stott says we're not tipping God it's sanctified saying Lord it's for you it's an offering if someone said we're giving what's right not what's left oh I just got this in my pocket no we give what's right it's an offering to him It's an expression of worship. So God gives it intangible value. Philippians 4.18, Paul says, I've received what you sent. He's writing to the church at Philippi. He's going on in his ministry. They're in partnership with him. They support his apostolic ministry as a church. They often send to him. He says, I've received your gift. And then he says, it is a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God." They sent money to Paul. He said, no, no, it's an offering to God. It's an acceptable sacrifice. Well-pleasing. Beautiful aroma. God loves it. God has received it. Hebrews 13, 16, similar. With such sacrifices, God is pleased. God is pleased. What we do here in a few moments' time, offering up some uh, thousands and thousands of pounds, it's for God. That's how it's happened over the years. I remember when Ken Gott stood on the bright, on the stonely platform, and, and he had this sort of, some prophecy. He said, you will see millions of pounds released and millions of people affected. He thought, millions of pounds? Millions of people? Yeah, millions. Millions. And I met people who said, yeah, we just had an inheritance. We talked. We said, well, we don't need this now. Stuck in a check for 10,000, 20,000. He are not just tipping. They're saying, hey, we're in this. Big checks. Let's go for it. We're in it. Acceptable worship to God. A pleasing aroma. Today, we want to please God. I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to bring our offering to Him. I'm going to believe God that we, this little company, we survive us. We see as We can see something. We can see. We can see Northern Ireland coming awake. We can see Wales being penetrated. We see Scotland coming alive. We see little groups going. Well, just the family. What is there? Just ten of you now? Ten of you? Is that all there is? I remember standing in Eastbourne with Don Smith in his second week. There were 24 of them. They'd moved across from Hastings to start a new church in Eastbourne. 24. And they were in a hall. and, and, And they sat in a circle. Just around like this. And Don was the worship leader. That's the biggest joke ever. He's got such a terrible voice. We, had a, we, we, had a, we used to have pastor's prayer days in my home when I was at Seaford. And we, we were all gathered in, in the lounge. And Wendy's in the kitchen. And there's one of these feeding things through from the kitchen. You open it and you feed through. And Wendy's testimony was, we were in this room and she could hear this dog growling. She said, what's the dog doing in the meeting? And, and she, she opened the door. And there's Don Smith worshipping. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and Don moved with 24 people to Eastbourne. And he said, we sat, we sat I was there second week. Sat in a circle. And he sat in the corner. He said, I didn't want them to look at the big empty hall. I'll look at it. <laughs> he's a great leader. So I'll, I'll look at the empty hall. They can look at me. And he's leading the worship. <laughs> You go to Eastbourne now, 800 on a Sunday morning. 800. 800. Clearly the biggest. I mean, so many of the little churches we started in Sussex were a handful. Don said to me when I went to him at Hastings, he had 14 at Hastings. And then Terry came, we dropped to 11. <laughs> now they've got the biggest church in Hastings. And so many of these churches that started as house churches, nearly all of them are now warehouse churches big warehouse, I mean massive warehouse in Eastbourne, huge place in, in Hastings a massive one in East Grinston, house was vast, vast now they've just got one in Haywood's Heath, I mean these towns don't mean much to many of you but I remember when we met we met with a handful in a house now we have vision and you've got vision we believe in God don't we, let's stand to pray draw near to God. Father, we're so grateful to you, Lord. Thank you that we survived judgment. Thank you we came through the judgment of God. We thank you we've passed from death to life. We thank you we know now, already, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we thank you Judgment is past. We are so grateful. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. You took our place. This is Jesus in his glory. King of heaven dying for me. It is finished. He has done it. Death is beaten. Heaven beckons me. We love it, Lord. We love it. We're so thrilled. You took our shame and set us free. Lord, we've seen something. We thank you we've seen something. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us vision. We thank you, Lord, we've now got concrete evidence that our vision was authentic. Town after town, we thank you that what was a dream has become so substantial. It stands. It's there. Beloved, some people said when Disneyland was built... It was said, wasn't it tragic that Walt Disney never lived to see it? And the answer was, if he hadn't seen it, it wouldn't be standing here. He never lived to see it, but he saw it before anybody saw it. David said, I'm going to build a house for God. He'd seen it. He'd seen it. Solomon had the privilege of building it, but David had always seen it. He's got to be seeers. Tiny little group in a cave. He saw something. I need to be supporters. We're there in the mud. We're there shouting. We're committed. Heavenly Father, we pray for your spirit to come on us. Pray for offerings that bring you joy, that are real worship to you, that you are glorified. People are encouraged, but that, Lord, we, we bring an offering to you today out of deep gratitude and delight in you. We bring our offerings. You'll get instructions in a minute. You may need to... You may need to change something you've written down. You may need to say, look, I wasn't ready really. I'm just going to write an I O U. Because I feel God's spoken to my heart now. And uh, I, I wasn't really ready. But now I want to be ready. So for some of us, you may just have to say, look, hey, I promise you, this is coming pretty soon now. In a week or two, I'll get it to you. But I wasn't really ready for this. But let's come. Lord Jesus, accept the offerings we bring. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.